Good to see you this morning. Is that better? As always, we begin with an introduction and a review. We've been working through Ephesians. And last week, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, we finally moved out of chapter 1. I mean, Ephesians, yeah, 2, 1 through 10, we finally moved out of the Ephesians 1. And title last week was Back to the Basics. Paul had just finished informing them, the Ephesians, in, their le- in his letter, of all those lofty spiritual truths we covered in chapter 1. The spiritual blessings that we have in Christ, our position in Christ, seated with him in the heavenly realms. Wrap your head around that one. You're seated here. You're also seated with him in the heavenly realms. It's a scriptural truth. That's all available to us in Christ. Then for some reason, after all of those lofty theological spiritual truths, Paul felt the need to come back down to the basics. For some reason, as we enter chapter 2, Paul feels the need to remind the Ephesians of some, of some very basic stuff, and that's what I'm going to remind us of today. There may be some stuff you didn't know. There may be a lot of stuff you do know. Maybe it'll be in a different perspective. We'll see. Fundamental, foundational truths of the gospel today. This week, same text. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10, title, Back to the Basis, Basics, part 2. We'll have Deborah Robinson come and read. The rest of us will stand. Is Ashlyn coming with you? Let's stand and we'll honor the God's word together. and sin in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Thank you. Thank you, ladies. Thank you, Ashlyn. So back to the basics, part two. This passage outlines very nicely 
verses 1 through 3, the sin of man. That was last week's focus. That was the bad news. Sin wrecked us. Sin wrecked us. We're dead in sin apart from Christ. Walking dead. Then verses 4 through 10, the salvation of man. This week's focus. This is the good news. God restores us. Sin wrecked us. God restores us. We were dead in sin. Now we're alive in Christ. Thank you. Much of verses 4 through 10, we've already covered in recent sermons. Probably does not need repeating today. We're seated with Christ in the heavenlies. We've talked about that. We're saved by grace through faith. We talked about that. We're saved for a purpose. God has a plan for each of us in Christ. We talked about that. Those are basically verses 6 through 10. We don't really need to rehash that today. We covered them extensively. But one thing we will spend some more time on today is this thought that's found in verses 4 and 5. We were dead in sin. We are now alive in Christ. So let's begin. That's what we want to focus on. We were dead in sin. Now we're alive. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. But God, who is so rich in mercy, he loved us so much Even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. But, B-U-T, but, it's a connecting word. It connects the thought that goes before it with the thought that comes after it. But, once dead, but, now alive. But connects the bad news with the opposite Good news, but once dead in sin, now, but alive in Christ. But God is so rich in mercy. God loves us so much. Even though we were dead in our sins, he gave us life. We were dead in sin, but now we are alive. Did I mention that in here? We were dead in sin, but now we are alive in Christ. If you know Jesus, if you know Jesus as your Savior, that's your testimony. You once were dead, and now you're alive in Christ. You once were dead, you had no life. Now you have life. That's your testimony. Hooray, right? God made a way for mankind to come out of their sin, out of the sin problem, out of the sin dilemma, out of the sin issue, and it's through, and it's only through. Don't let anybody deceive you that there's many ways to heaven. There's only one way to heaven, and it's Jesus, and don't get mad at me. He said that. If you're a follower of Jesus, he's the one who said that. I'm just sharing it with you. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. Sin so wrecked us We couldn't even come to him on our own. Sin so wrecked us, we couldn't even love him on our own. He had to draw us. He had to first love us. That's how bad we were because of sin. That's what sin did to us. Now, we're not just alive, not just barely alive, but we have eternal life. We have abundant life. 
We have life to the fullest in Jesus. Depression, anxiety, things of that nature are running rampant in our society today. And I'm here to tell you from the word and to tell you from personal experience, Jesus is the master at overcoming depression, overcoming worry, overcoming anxiety, and lifting you out of those things. He's the master at that. You give your life to him. You give those issues to him. He will lift you out of that. We don't just, we're not just now barely alive. We have life in Christ, abundant life to the fullest. Look at John 10.10. 10. The thief, the devil, Satan, came only in order to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I, Jesus, came that they might have and enjoy life. Enjoy life. It's not a meager existence. Enjoy life. Have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. Overflowing life in Jesus is yours if you know him. It's another bad news, good news scenario. The bad news is there's an enemy, Satan. We're going to talk about him today. Bad news, Satan comes to steal and destroy life. That's what he does. Satan steals, robs, kills, destroys life. That's who he is. That's what he does. Good news. Jesus comes to give life. He imparts, a, he imparts a full, overflowing experience of life. That's what he does. Remember, Paul told us last week, the devil, Satan, he was involved at the origin of our sin issue. He was there at the beginning, and that he's absolutely still involved. Satan knew he was leading an Adam and Eve into sin. He knew what leading them into sin would cause. He knew what the results of them sinning would be, and he didn't care at all. His goal, his end game, his purpose, always death, destruction. Even towards those who willingly choose to serve him. But Jesus is exactly the opposite of Satan. Jesus' goal, his end game, his purpose is always life. Blessing, favor, mercy, goodness, kindness. Always working for the good. That's who Jesus is. That's what he does. Satan, extreme hate. To serve him is lose-lose. You lose here and you lose there. Lake of fire. Jesus, extreme love. To serve him is win-win. You win here. Life abundant to the overflowing. To the fullest. You win there. Eternal life in heaven with him. And all these people in here. And all believers through all the ages. Eternal bliss, it's called. Eternal joy. So, just some information. Sermons have a variety of purposes. Sermons have a variety of intentions. Some are meant to encourage and to lift us up. Edify is a biblical word. They're meant to edify us. Some are meant to correct 
and challenge us. That's the ouch messages. Somewhere to give direction, guidance, practical steps forward. We learn something, we go out and we apply it. It's an action step. Some are evangelical. The sermons are pressing towards the salvation of the lost. Then some sermons are simply informational. Teaching sermons meant to equip. We learn and we're better equipped for service. That's what this message is today. If you're willing to pay attention, I think you'll learn something today. And I think you'll learn something that will better equip you to serve the Lord out there in the world when you face the challenges that people are going to bring you as a Christian in these days ahead. So I got a thought question for you to start this process. Where is the first mention or the first promise of God to man of a Savior? Someone who will deliver, rescue, redeem us from our sin problem. Anybody know? Where is the first mention of a Savior in Scripture? Abraham and Isaac, good guess. Genesis 3, and is that what you were going to say? We got some theologically astute people in here. The answer is a very unlikely place. It's Genesis chapter 3. It's the sin chapter. You've heard Genesis 3 mentioned so much in here. Today we want to take a deep dive into this chapter. And even then, even after today, we're going to look at it extensively. And even after today, we won't have exhausted its rich teaching. There's still other things to get out of it, even after we're done today. But we're going to take a very deep dive. You've heard that. That's a catchword these days. We're going to take a very deep dive into Genesis 3. So here we go. 3, 9 through 16, and it'll be about four or five slides, pulling out highlights, get, trying to get all the information, but it won't all fit on one slide. The Lord God called to the man, where are you? Are you listening? Are you interested in this? I do have other things I could be doing too if you're not really interested. What? (laughs) The Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Uh Uh-oh. Ouch. Man sinned. Man ate from the forbidden fruit. And by the way, it does not say it was an apple. Just says it was fruit. And besides, the fruit isn't really the issue at all. There's no evil fruit out there. It was Adam and Eve's willful disobedience. It was Adam and Eve's rebellion against the word and the command of God. That was the issue. That's what got them in trouble. They thought they knew better than God. They thought God didn't really know what he was talking about when he said, don't eat from that tree. They didn't trust God. They didn't trust that God had their best interest at heart. They thought he was keeping something from them. And they wanted it. 
They thought they could do whatever they pleased and get away with it. They did not have a clue. Hear me. They did not have a clue to the consequences of that action of eating that fruit, of disobeying, of turning their backs on God. Now, we know that Adam and Eve had help. They had help in that wrongdoing. They had help in that wrong decision. There was some additional pressure on them that day because there was another player present in the garden. The devil, Satan, in the form of a snake, he tempted and he prodded Adam and Eve along. We've seen what his intentions always are. Jesus told us, Back in John 10.10, his intentions are always to steal, kill, to destroy. You can't trust him. He hates you. Even if he comes in a form that masquerades as an angel of light, he hates you. He has one purpose, to steal, rob, kill, and destroy. That was his purpose for Adam and Eve. And then all of their offspring, which is you and me. We're suffering from Adam and Eve's sin. It's just the way it is. Well, we proved we're just like them because we've sinned, but we're suffering from their sin. If you don't like that, take it up with the one who makes the rules. Where were you when Adam and Eve sinned? When Adam sinned? You were in his loins. So the curse that came upon him when he sinned came upon you. And all of your offspring came upon me and all my offspring. We're all born under the sin curse because of Adam and Eve, and they did it. They chose to do it, but they had help, and it was that serpent, that wily serpent, that devil, that Satan. In, in their behalf, they probably didn't know back then what he was like, but they quickly found out. Once Adam and Eve sinned in chapter 3, it didn't take long for sin to devastate the human race. One chapter later, we have the first domestic murder Cain killed his brother Abel. Took one chapter to go from pure innocence to murder in the human race. That's what sin will do to you. So the man replied, it was the woman you gave me. We're not even going to make any jokes there. Steve, don't even go there. The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit. It's the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit. And I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. And that's why I ate it. Let the blame game begin. Adam said, it wasn't me. She made me do it. And then did you notice this? This is like audacious to the, to the highest degree. He very subtly actually blames God. It was the woman you gave me. Wow, I got the chills when I just said that. Could you imagine telling God that? If you wouldn't have given me that woman, I wouldn't have sinned. Who do you think you are? What were you thinking, Lord? How quickly it can get ugly when sin's involved. How could Adam talk to his creator, his loving father, that way? It's the woman you gave me. She gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Why, a few short verses ago, God and Adam were walking through the garden in intimate fellowship and relationship with one another. 
how quickly we can fall away when we let sin enter our lives. How quickly we cross the line from loving God to trying to get away from Him. And just, by the way, just so we know, God did not change at all in this exchange. God did not change at all in this scenario. God remained the same. God remained steadfast in his love, his mercy, his goodness towards them. They ran and hid from God. Adam and Eve changed because of their sin. They were no longer the same as before they sinned. God did not change at all. So continuing to blame, Eve's, Adam said, it's the woman you gave me. She gave me the fruit. It's her fault. Eve said, it wasn't me. It's the serpent you made. He made me do it. That's probably where the saying emerges, the devil made me do it, right? So then God again <coughs> addresses Adam, gives him some consequences. He addresses Eve. He gives her some consequences for the sin. It's a great read. If you want to read Genesis 3, it's a rich, rich chapter. But then God addressed the serpent, Satan, and that's what we want to look at today. What God had to say to the serpent after he tempted Adam and Eve into sin and the human race fell. Are you interested in that? You want to know what God said to the devil at that point? The Lord God said to the serpent, the devil, Satan, because you have done this, you're cursed. I will put enmity, which is open hostility. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed offspring and her seed. God spoke to Satan at this time, you are cursed because of this. And a consequence of your sin, will you, there will now be enmity. There will now be open hostility. What does that mean? It means enmity refers to enemies who cannot get along. Warring parties always at each other. No agreement, always disagreement. From Genesis 3 forward, there will now be enmity and open hostility, conflict. Whereas before there was peace, harmony, everything was perfect, utopia. That's what sin did in Genesis chapter 3, to the human race. Now, interesting, you got to put your thinking caps on for this. I, you might not see it right away in the text. Look at who the warring parties will be. Who do you think the warring parties are? Nobody? Okay. That's what it looks like on first, at first thought, isn't it? The woman's offspring, us. At first glance, you would think that it's between Satan and the human race. Or maybe Satan and Christ followers, but something along those lines. Not so. <laughs> it's between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, capital S. The woman is singular, the, the, the expression for woman is singular because it has the. So it's a very specific woman. It's a definite article. It refers to Mary. Do 
You didn't know Mary was mentioned in Genesis 3, did you? Her seed, capital S. Seed is capitalized in Scripture because it refers to Jesus. Mary's seed, her offspring, her son, is Jesus Christ. There will now be enmity between Satan and Jesus. The prophecy, the prediction was that there would be enmity between the devil and Jesus began in Genesis chapter 3. Let's see if it was fulfilled. Matthew 4, 1 through 8. It's also found in Luke, maybe found in another gospel. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. And during that time, the devil came to Jesus. It's the account known as the temptation of Christ. For 40 days, Satan and Jesus went head to head in the desert. Satan was after Mary's seed, depicted and prophesied in Genesis 3. Are you with me? Does it make sense? Satan was after Mary's seed. He had to take out Mary's seed. Enemy, hostility, enemies, warring parties. His intention was to destroy Jesus, to move him off of God's plan of salvation, to thwart God's plan of salvation, to stop Jesus from becoming mankind's Savior. Now, of course, this is a one-time episode in Matthew 4 and in Luke, the desert experience. Lasted 40 days, but we know from the Gospels, this attack endured all the way through Jesus' earthly ministry. Satan came at him often. He came at him in many different ways. His goal was to take out Jesus so he couldn't become the Savior of the world, deliver mankind from sin. So the answer to our question, where is the first mention, the promise of God to man of a Savior? A deliverer, a rescuer, a redeemer for a sin problem? It's Genesis chapter 3. It's the first veiled mention of Jesus in Scripture. Let's go even deeper into it. Do you want to go deeper? Or is that enough? A little deeper? He, Jesus, shall fatally bruise your head. You shall only bruise his heel. God's talking to Satan. He, Jesus, shall fatally bruise your head. You shall only bruise his heel. Let's begin with the second phrase first. You shall only bruise his heel. This refers to the crucifixion of Christ. Satan was allowed to take Jesus' physical life. But he had no clue that by doing so, he played directly into God's hand, into God's plan, into God's purpose for Jesus. Satan had no clue that by taking Jesus' life, it would bring about his own ultimate demise and the liberation of mankind from bondage to sin. Satan was allowed to take Jesus' life. It's represented in Scripture as him bruising his heel. If Jesus had not been crucified, no salvation for mankind. Someone had to die for man's sin, or there was no salvation or forgiveness. And it had to be somebody that never sinned. And there is only one person, and that's Jesus. Satan made a fatal mistake. And actually, by the way, Satan didn't take Jesus' life. What happened, Brandon? He actually laid his life down. So Satan even really didn't get the, the uh, satisfaction of taking his life. Jesus gave up his life. 
Satan thought he had Jesus, but then God raised him from the dead. Jesus took his life back, and he completely turned the tables on Satan. Know this, Satan can never, ever, ever outsmart God. Whatever you see going on in the world, whatever you hear going on in the world, no matter how bad it seems, Satan is not in control. God is in control. He thinks he's in control, but just like at the cross, he's going to realize soon enough, God's going to turn the tables on him. Genesis 50, 20, you meant this for evil, but God intended it for good, the saving of many lives. Man, you just, it's win-win for the Christian no matter what happens. And I'm not making light of some of the stuff that's on the horizon. I mean, you've heard the reports, World War III, possibly, right? Bad stuff happening. It's enough to shake you in your boots, but not if you know Christ. You know he's in control. He has your life no matter what happens. You say, yeah, but... We might actually die. We might. To live is Christ, to die is gain. We always think when God says it's all right, it means there'll never be anything bad. There will never be death. No, we got to get a different perspective of what's bad and what death really is. To live is Christ, to die is gain. That's what you're looking for if you know Christ. You want to be with him. I'm not advocating suicide. Don't go take your life early. God has a plan for you. But when it is your time to die, Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed unto every person who wants to die. We look forward to that with rejoicing because we'll be with him. So, Satan thought he had Jesus. He thought he took his life. Jesus actually was, no, I laid my own life down. And you're going to find out in three days what's going to happen. Friday was a great day for Satan. Sunday, not so much. The truth here is Jesus delivered a fatal blow to Satan at the cross. Satan killed an innocent man. He shouldn't have done that. He had no right to take Jesus because Jesus wasn't under the curse of sin. Colossians 2.15, in this way, all this we just talked about, Jesus disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities, Satan's camp. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them at the cross. What's being said here? At the cross, when Satan killed an innocent man who had never sinned and was not under the curse of sin, which is death, Satan made a fatal mistake. He lost the war that began back in Genesis 3. He lost it at the cross. Through Jesus' victory over him, mankind was now restored to God, set free from their sin that began in Genesis 3. You know, this is that outdated book that doesn't have any relevance in our society or life today, right? That's why Jesus said, it is finished on the cross. He wasn't talking about the crucifixion. He was talking about the war now was won that began in Genesis 3. It is finished. Mankind is now restored to God. Mankind can now be delivered and free from their sin. That's what's finished. That whole plan took from Genesis 3 to the crucifixion. All authority. Everything that was stolen from mankind by the devil in Genesis 3. Think about that. Everything that was stolen from mankind by the devil in Genesis 3 was restored at the cross to mankind and is now yours if you're in Christ. 
All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, said Jesus. And it's not a stretch if you read the Gospels to see that he then delegated and activated that authority in his followers. We have the same authority over Satan that Jesus has. We just don't realize it. And the longer he can keep us from not realizing it, the better it is for him. Jesus now has complete dominion in heaven and on earth. He unseated the spiritual rulers, the demonic kingdom. He established himself as the ultimate authority, the ruler, the one in charge. Jesus solidified his victory and his rule over Satan at the cross. Satan won in Genesis 3. Jesus won at the cross. Genesis 3, 9 through 16. He shall fatally bruise your head. He shall, you shall only bruise his heel again. Jesus dealt Satan a fatal blow at the cross, but Satan was only able to bruise Jesus' heel. It's the difference between a fatal head wound and a bruised heel. So again, the answer to the question, where is that first mention and promise of God to man of a Savior? It's found in Genesis 3, the same chapter that contains the bad news. Worst news there could ever be. Man has sinned and turned away from God, separated himself from God, became slaves to sin and Satan. It also contains the good news, though, the first glimpse of the glorious redemption of God, already planned for the salvation of man, deliverance from his sin dilemma, all found in Genesis 3. Wow, what a chapter, right? You can read it and read it and read it, meditate on it, think about it. Genesis 3, God's contingency plan. He knew man would turn away from him. Those who would accept and embrace God's plan of salvation in Jesus would then be turned back and saved, redeemed and delivered from their sin and from their bondage to Satan. Satan has no hold over you. For Satan to cause you, follower of Christ, to do anything, you have to choose to do it. Jesus gave mankind victory over this evil character, Satan who deceived the whole human race into turning away from God, their creator, their loving father. God's plan of salvation, rescue, and deliverance from the sin-Satan problem in Christ begins in that same chapter where sin made its initial entrance into the human race. Amazing. Can you say amazing? Amazing. This is what Paul's referring to back in Ephesians chapter 2. Once you were dead... Because of your disobedience and your many sins, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. But God, so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. The problem began in Genesis 3. The problem was resolved at the cross. Just a few scriptures. You know, I always like to reinforce what I'm saying. I'm not always 100% right in what I believe, but I can always show you why I believe what I believe from scripture. And if you can show me differently, we'll talk. So I want to use some scriptures just to reinforce what we said today. Then we'll, we'll be closing. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. For he has rescued us. Who? Jesus. He has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. He has transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, Jesus, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. 
You were dead, Colossians 2, 13 and 14. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for, the, for he forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of the charges that were against us, and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. Makes it clear. Romans 6.13, you were dead, but now you have new life. John 5.24, I tell you the truth. Those who listen to my message, Jesus, and believe in God who sent me, Jesus, have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. You, if you know Jesus, you have already passed from death to life. There's still a moment coming. When your soul will have to exit your physical body, it'll be in the twinkling of an eye, and you'll be with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You will have to face that. We all do. But you have already passed from death to life. You're no longer walking dead. You're no longer walking in your sins. You have life in Christ. Glorious news. If we just grasp it, you say, well, that's just all high theological truth. You see the way I live. Well, let's, let's change that. Let's change the way you're living. And when we get to Ephesians 3 or 4, Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 is all this high theological stuff. Who you are in Christ and all these truths. Then from 4 through 6, Paul gets real. And he says, now start living it. Now that you've heard it. Now that you've learned it, start living it. Stop letting sin rule in your mortal body. You have power over sin. Stop letting Satan deceive you into all wrong decisions, kinds of wrong decisions. You have power and authority over Satan. Let's start living according to the truths that we're, we're learning. It's not just so that we know this stuff. It's so that we live this stuff. You have already passed from life, from death into life. So conclusion and an application. Why all this information anyhow? Why all this teaching? Is there even a practical application? I think there is, if you're willing to listen. Now remember, Satan has blinded and he's veiled the minds and hearts of unbelievers. We learned that last week, right? Satan has put a blind across the eyes, veiled the heart and minds of unbelievers so they can't come to know Christ. So they can't understand all this stuff that we're talking about. After today's message, if you were listening, you're equipped to tell them. That's the whole purpose of this. You know how you now have truth to go after that blind, after those veils, tear down those strongholds. Because you know the truth. You're no longer deceived. You're free. And you can share your freedom with them. Only scripture, only truth will remove the blind, remove the veil, lift the blind of unbelief. Only scripture, only truth will help them see the light of the gospel and be drawn to Christ. And God wants to use us to do that. And today he has further a little bit maybe, further equipped us to do that because we now have an arsenal or we have more truth in our arsenal.
When somebody accuses the Bible of being an outdated, irrelevant book, oh, 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 wait, 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 let's talk about that. Do you realize that what's going on in the Middle East is still between Isaac and Ishmael? Jacob and Esau? Do you realize if Adam would have believed God and not went and had a son, Ishmael, we wouldn't have any of this? But through unbelief, Adam tried to bring, or Abraham tried to bring about God's promise on his own instead of waiting for God. This is what we got, this mess. You don't want to create Ishmael's in life. You want to wait on God and let him fulfill the things he says through the way that he said to do it. That outdated book, it has nothing to do with the way we live today. So I have an illustration quick of last week's message. Last week we were talking about the strongholds that Satan builds up in people's minds, the veil, the blind, so that they can't see the truth, right? So Monday, preach that Sunday, Monday I went into the medicine shop to pick up a prescription. And a guy was sitting in there, and I sat down beside him. He looked really old, but it ends up he was only about 63. He had pajama pants on, and he was all scruffy, and none of that really matters. But what I want to tell you is he just kept, and finally I said, hey, man, is everything all right? He said, no, I just found out that my lung cancer is back. Already had it once, and I went through all the treatment, chemo, radiation. Not sure there's anything else they can do. I said, oh, man, is it actually a death sentence? Do you know for sure that it's going to take your life? And, and he said, pretty much. Well, next question. Are you ready to, to face death and experience death? Do you know where you'll go if you're going to die? And he goes, I said, would you go to heaven if you die? And he goes, no way. I've been too bad. I've been so bad. I wouldn't go to heaven. I said, well, listen, I can help you to know for sure that you're going to go to heaven. If you want me to, I will help you. At that moment, his whole demeanor changed. He turned away from me, and he started saying, I'll beat this. I can beat this. I really wasn't that bad. But he didn't want to hear anything more about it. I could literally see from Sunday's sermon the stronghold kick in, the blind that was there, the veil that needs to be removed kept him from pursuing that any further. So we sat there, and he was complaining about his neighbors, and we were on some other funky stuff. And then uh, finally he gets up to leave, and I said, hey, listen, his name was John. I said, John, Scripture can tell you how to know for sure you're going to heaven. Check it out. But he just, if you don't think it's real, it is very real. So Monday night we had the prayer. We prayed for John. We prayed that God would remove the, the veil and he would lift the blind and he would tear down the strongholds that are keeping John from coming to him. And you know a lot of Johns out there. I want to show you one more thing, and it's Jesus' word to Paul on this matter of setting the captives free, removing that veil and that blind, and how he's given that role to the church. Acts 26, Jesus to Paul. I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people. 
who are set apart by faith in me, meaning Jesus. Jesus' mission became Paul's mission. It became your mission, and it became my mission. And he's equipping us, and that's what today's sermon was about. We've learned truth that's equipping us to be better effective on the mission. Would you stand with me? Steve Smith, make your way up here. Steve, you go to the mic. Adjust it. Wait until we get the band up here, then you can start praying. They're coming now. Heavenly Father, maker and provider of all our things, Lord, now we know, so we can't not know. Father, thank you for this message today. Let us each take this home with us and listen to it, meditate on it, and realize what the end goal is here. It's either life or death. You're either going to be with heaven in heaven with Jesus for eternity, or you're going to be in hell with the devil for eternity in darkness. Father, we thank you so much for this message. Let us let us go over it and go over it and just learn what the end goal is here, how important it is to save our neighbors, our friends, our family, all those people that we want to see in heaven. And all we have to do is ask Jesus to forgive our sins. Ask him to forgive our sins. We don't have to sin, but sin is born in us. So we have to ask Jesus to forgive it for us. And we thank you, Lord, for making that provision for us. That Jesus died on the cross and Satan lost. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen.